Good news, Jizz is still officially canon. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> Can that be the intro? Yeah, I was just going to say, it's going to be the open. Oh, that'd be brilliant. Oh, wow, that's, that's one way to keep the audience <laughs> listening. Uh, <laughs> or not. Yes, or not. Uh, it does depend on the sensibilities of our audience. Welcome back to Speaking from Ignorance. Um... Uh, I'm Daniel, PhD student studying astrophysics, and uh, I'd like to start by saying that this episode is brought to you by Crusader Kings 3, Game of the Year 2020. Uh, I know it's only been out a week, but it's already Game of the Year 2020. Critics are calling it the greatest game ever made by humankind. Other games are available. No, no other games are available, (laughs) only Crusader Kings 3. Right, okay. Uh, my name is Jack. I am a charity person doer. I am a social mobility advocate and I like peas. Do you? Oh, peas? Good. Yes. Really? Yeah, my, my, my brain just went full black. I, I, I had no idea who Do I was. Do you like bees? You've never expressed so interest in bees before. I said peas, but you know. Peas, oh, peas. yes. You know, the English garden pie. pea, the petit pois, you know, all, all of the go, uh, varieties. Do you go mushy peas or, like, on, on the fish and chips, do you go mushy peas or do you go garden peas? It really depends. I mean, some people make horrible mushy peas, but, you know, others really ace it. I feel like peas should be closer to, like, gravy than, than you know, just, like, pure mashed peas. Uh, okay, oh. so I'm saying... Oh. <laughs> And yeah, I'm a PhD student in astrophysics as well, and machine learning and neural network enthusiast, as shown by my mug that won't show up on the podcast, but it's a mug with a bunch of different neural networks on it. Bonjour, madame et monsieur, ici le podcast audio de la France, uh, le français. Hey, I already uh, did the intro in French on Sam's episode, stealing <laughs> <laughs> my bit. Uh, <laughs> Je m'appelle uh, Michel Marsou, uh, uh, I'm artist de, du célèbre. Uh, oh no, no, no! It's actually me, um, the actor Henry Holmes, once again using his chameleon-like powers to pretend to be the famous French mime artist Michel Marsou. Why um, are you speaking if you're a famous French mime artist? And who invited <laughs> you? <laughs> That's such a terrible. Why would you invite no, a mime so. artist onto a podcast? Well, you know, you could talk about the wonders of you know all that poontang you get from the mime scene. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I haven't thought it There's through. There's a very easy to interpret mime symbol for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish we. I wish we. Video recorded this. That would be. I'm really glad we don't video record this. <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's this uh, mysterious let me just say, guest? Uh, before before <laughs> our mysterious guest introduces himself, he is clearly a master of mime. Uh, please welcome Sam. Uh, hello, my name is Sam. Uh, I recently got a master's of arts in statistics at the University of Pittsburgh. Hell yeah! And... Sorry, what? <laughs> And I think Master of Arts in Statistics. Correct. That doesn't sound like an art to me. Well, I don't know. Maybe. maybe oh, you can also get a Master of Science, but I didn't do that. 
okay. We'll, we'll get into the details. Yeah, I'm sure we'll you'll explain the this. difference. Yeah. Um, and I also am in a number of musical groups, which I think we might talk about, including the band Wild Love. Let's jump right into it. I think, well, the first question is Daniel's question. What's up oh, with yeah. this Master of Arts? Because I think what we know from the UK is if you do like anything related to math, they're like, here's some science. Uh, that's, just, that's what you yes. do. Well, just supplementary to that. Um, is it because you're a gifted mime artist? See, yeah. The thing is, when you're at the uh, Mime Academy, they only, they only give Master of Arts, yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> the the difference actually is that the master of science includes a thesis and i did a bachelor's of science directly into this master's program and i wanted to ha publish a paper so i started doing the ms program but i was then referred by my uh my director uh, to a colleague of hers who was writing a research paper and needed a consulting statistician to be a co-author on that paper. So it was pretty clear that my intentions to uh, be an author on a published paper were probably going to come to fruition anyway. So I changed courses to the MA, which is only coursework and no thesis. And uh, that paper was actually just submitted oh congrats a journal um called What's bipolar that? disorders i want to because i'm quite interested in stats like personally as well as professionally now uh and i feel that stats is taught at least to us it wasn't taught very well it's taught in a really like boring way you just see like sheets of numbers and then they're like linear algebra is a thing and you're like well, there's like no links between anything and at the end of it you're like i just want to forget it all how does the stats that you learn differ from the stats that you actually use in practice? So compared to what you learned in your uh, bachelor's and uh, science and stats and stuff, how is it different to what you actually had to do in regards to this paper? Well, the I think stats gets a bad rap, but it's kind of implicit in the way that it just the nature of it because it's it's a very deep uh, subject and to teach it in, at an introductory level you're basically giving people concepts that are fairly high level concepts and you just tell them the very tip of the iceberg so they say you know find if there's a significant difference between these two groups and then they have to do five things that seem completely unrelated to that question and then at the end, at the end, they say they have a p-value, and a lot of people don't even understand what a p-value is. <laughs> uh, so for our audience, would you like Sam? to explain what a p-value? Yeah, what is it? Right <laughs> now? Oh. Well, I had a professor once who liked to say p-value is an answer to a question you never thought to ask, which is, uh, what what is the the probability of seeing a result that is as extreme or more extreme than the result that you saw. So if you have taken the introductory stats class, you know that what you're looking for is a small p-value is significant. That means there's a very small probability 
that you would see the result that you just saw or something even more extreme and that indicates that it did not happen due to random chance there is some factor making it non uh so if there is a very large p-value you're going this is probably random chance exactly even uh, and it has to be pretty small uh the standard one that most people use in intro classes is 0 0.05 which on one hand sounds very small five percent but it's it's one in 20 so there's it gets even more complicated very quickly because if you do 20 tests you're already expected to make at least one mistake uh, because you have a 1 in 20 chance anyway. Things like that, knowing things like that and the nuances are kind of the difference between what you do in practice and what you do in class. Not everything is cut and dry. You have to have a lot of tools that you... in the it, Today, you can just have heard of them and then you can research how to use them if you come across that scenario. But what makes it difficult is knowing which tool to use in which scenario. Yeah, because there's all these different tests as well. I've only done like, I guess I've only done intro stats um, at secondary school. I never, I never did like, I, we never did proper stats at university, which was a no, shame, I think, because yeah. if you do a physics degree, come on, you have to. It was kind of tacked on at the end of the maths modules. Yeah, which didn't really make oh, yeah, any here's sense. Some stats well, it was also end. tacked on <laughs> yeah. at the start of the maths module, which made even less sense to me. Where basically we well it was like the third maths module we had and the final one, but it was like at the <laughs> so they start nicely that, right? bookended your your maths module, right? Yeah, yeah it's it like that, a it was, sandwich, right? <laughs> yeah, but it was the sort of thing where you get into like your second year of university, and I actually had a better knowledge of stats, humble brick, than most of the other people's, just because I had to do an extended stats. That's module not humble. That, that's just a brag. That's just a brag. <laughs> exactly. that's, that's why I said humble brick. Uh, uh, but yeah, but, but like I didn't have any knowledge of mechanics, so you know. Meanwhile, I had a much better knowledge of mechanics because I did two mechanics modules. Yeah, I didn't know what mechanics. I, I had was. a rudimentary knowledge of mechanics and stats, and that really helped yeah. me with my acting degree. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh man, yeah. I think stats get to, but I, there must be a way to teach this in a more intuitive way. Though. I I wrote up one time a a lesson plan. I th I thought about making some kind of uh YouTube channel, tu YouTube tutoring channel of you know how how stats should be taught because people come in and the you know some of the first units are probability and. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Stuff it's always like probability that. and statistics. Probability and uh, what's it what's it called? Where where you Accounting. have a, a, yeah, scenario A and scenario B. What's the probability of both of them happening? What's the probability of one or the other? But people use stats a lot in their daily life. When you look at a chart and stuff, when you look at graphs and data visualization is the way that most people interact with statistics and i think that coming from that angle could make a lot of this stuff make more sense if you show people a bell curve and have them understand a bell curve and then talk about probability and how it's improbable to be at the corners of the bell curve it's a little bit more gradual of a 
yeah introduction into topics like that i'm glad you brought up probability because that's sort of where i i took issue with how stats is taught because it's not just stats that's taught it's always probability and statistics and it does seem like statistics is tacked on at the end of like eight lectures of probability and then you're like by the way this is also like you can go into statistics but yeah it doesn't really it's not intuitive it doesn't make sense because probability even though you can visualize it how useful is it in a in day-to-day -day scenario no. you, you need to have a fundamental understanding of probability because as we talked about before the p-value which is your answer your near answer in statistical questions is a probability so you need yeah. to know what it means for a probability to be small you need to know the range of possibilities for a probability to be in you know zero yeah. to one yeah but i just mean like is it so if you're starting off with like coin flips and or like dice rolls and things, that's usually how probability is taught. And when I think of probability, I always think of fractions because that's how they start off with probability. But I like your methodology of let's start with a bell curve. Let's teach people what a distribution is because most people have seen a bell curve. Uh, most people understand what it means to have that bell curve and then go into the probability because i think people also in general you know esoterically what probability is do you need to understand it mathematically before you understand stats that's what and uh, it's it's very easy to bridge that gap too because you, when you you show people a bell curve a lot of some people understand it inherently and some people don't you know it's it's not exactly like the charts most people are used to seeing where the highest point is the most frequent uh, type of response, but that value is on the x-axis. It's a little bit, it's not super intuitive, but if you talk about the dice roll, like you said, it's anybody can conceptualize if you roll a dice uh, infinite or a million number, a million times, because infinity is too... <laughs> It's a little bit out there. Anyway, if you will die a million times, you would kind of expect to see an equal number of each outcome. That's pretty intuitive. And that's another type of distribution that's also very intuitive. Yeah. And then if you roll two dice a million times and then add the two totals together, then you get this. So, yeah, exactly, right? Um, but then you're back to square one. So I think it, it would actually be... <laughs> like really cool and intuitive to look at it that way you you take an example because i really believe in using examples to teach I, I find just looking at equations and theory it's nice if you already know what you're doing but you need to help people it, it's like the cast of knowledge uh a, a lot of lecturers don't know don't, like they can't understand that teaching from such understand. a high level yeah yeah Sam, um, I've got a question for you. Um, do you think that statistics is sort of perceived negatively sometimes by just the, the average person in the street because of uh, things like the way that they can, they can be used by certain dubious people to manipulate uh, arguments by creating um, uh, various uh, graphical representations of things in the media and for election campaigns. And then, of course, there's that classic quote, lies, damned lies, and statistics. Um, yeah, so I'd be interested to hear what you think the public perception of statistics is. I think uh, it's really, it is a little bit unnerving how you can manipulate numbers 
uh, and a lot of the numbers we see are manipulated in ways that most people don't even uh, consider like just just taking the log of your data uh, can make it look totally different and that's a very powerful tool and it's very commonly done but it could uh, easily be interpreted in a way that sounds completely different from what it means you know when you when the the terminology in statistics is super important and that's why a lot of people a lot of professors are incredibly strict when you're giving the answers on the tests you have to write you just memorize the sentence uh, and and then fill in the numbers for whatever question you're doing because if you change just one word the meaning is different difference of means means difference they they're completely they have, different things yeah even though yeah. Uh, your average layperson would be going I, I have no idea what the difference is so so when you say a sentence in English to interpret statistics uh, you don't know who's saying that sentence you don't know if they are doing it with malicious intent I can understand why people don't trust it but on the other hand you show them a picture it's just as easy to manipulate a graph but people are much more I may, maybe they are more trusting when they see it visualized because it's left up to their own interpretation, but you can still manipulate the graphs to look however as well. So terminology is super important in uh, in deception, <laughs> I guess, or non-deception. Yeah, I, I think that's also a good reason for everyone to get a basic understanding of statistics, though, because... Yeah, that's what a lot the... of people... Uh, pharmacists, for example, they take statistics classes essentially yeah. just so they can read papers and understand what the scientific journals are talking about whether yeah totally so um for someone who wants to improve their stats knowledge where would you recommend they start yeah yeah i have like a sort of supplement to that which is what do you think everyone should know about stats well in terms of where to start <laughs> that's a little bit in terms of where to start, uh, I would say you could probably find some courses, something like Khan Academy, but um, there are also some really good books out there that are not quite textbooks. Uh, I wish I could give a recommendation off the top of my head. But in terms of things everybody should know, the the modern idea of statistics if you want to do it yourself is like implementing some basic libraries in whatever coding language you're familiar with i i use r the most just it's a little bit more uh streamlined for some of that stuff but python is fine it's all about well, snake. python's great <laughs> snake. Uh, snake and there's a ton of really good libraries you can quickly, very, very quickly implement z-tests and t-tests. The danger is doing that without knowing what they are. Yeah. But you can get very powerful. But you can totally do it without knowing what they are. <laughs> yeah. That's, you can get that's what I love about modern programming. You very can do whatever powerful you want without knowing what <laughs> tests and very powerful methods very easily. So just learning to import those libraries and run it 
you should know it, but you should also know what you're doing. That was that would be a great. Yeah, know how to do it and know what it is. Always read the labels on the axis of your of graphs that you were looking at, <laughs> and True, and yeah. look at the scales, the x yeah, and y yeah. scales, <laughs> and the labels of those scales, and you will catch a lot of things that most people miss. Yeah, it's like what you were saying before, where just moving it into log, like taking the log just changes it. We have an old saying in astronomy, if it doesn't fit, move it into log space. Right. I've uh, seen graphs before, just for the layman of our audience, where they'll have a little squiggle on the y-axis. Uh, and, and you know, that'll just... Exactly. Like squiggle. Exactly. And, and, then, and then every other increment will be, you know, increments of a thousand or something. But that will be 10,000 down there. So when they've got the three <laughs> bars... Well, okay, no one will see this, but the, they look very different in height. But it's because that squiggle takes away the scale of it, and they're actually within one percent of each other. But they only show you that one uh, percent. They look very different. But somebody didn't want to present the information that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a reason for them to present it in that way. Like, what is their narrative? And it sort of goes into the whole. And you should question stats, but you should also know what you're doing when you're questioning stats. Yes, yeah. You said you were part of, like, a few music groups, most prominently uh, the band Wild Love, which you guys should definitely check out on Spotify. We'll put the link in the description. Yep, after you've listened to this episode, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't we'll don't just leave to this now, episode we're probably going to talk about the song. <laughs> What instruments do you play, Sam? I play uh, lead guitar and bass. And I actually am. I have them next to me. <laughs> uh, do you provide uh, vocals on any of the songs? Oh, yeah. I I did sing on um, a few of those songs. Um, mainly harmonies. And Which actually, is the I harder say... part, if we're being honest. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, like... <laughs> We dumbed it down for me. <laughs> uh, in the last year, I was in another band with my roommates, and I was our only singer, so I think my voice has gotten a little bit better, but uh, I think also my, my confidence in singing has gone up quite a bit. Nice. That's important. Which helps your voice sound better, I'm sure. Yes. Holmes yeah, can attest yeah, to that. I've, <laughs> the guy who sings lead, Dan would just say, sing louder, like, breathe before you sing. And it, the well, first that, time that I did it, key. <laughs> the first time um, I did it, it was, like, a complete difference. So, how long have you been making music for then, Sam? Um, I started playing the French horn. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's a fourth, difficult instrument. Fourth or fifth grade. So I was probably a little under 10 years old. No, maybe I was 10. And then in the fifth grade talent show, I played uh, the electric guitar, which was, I'm pretty sure, the first year I was learning to play. Played schools out. Nice. Um, Appropriate choice. <laughs> and I was in a band with the person who sang that with me playing guitar until, like, throughout high school as well so we were in a band together for uh over five or six years and who's that that was second street pike 
we have a couple videos as well out. No recorded music, but the talent show in high school was pretty decent. We played some original music, definitely better than the uh, fifth grade. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> playing along to the MP3 type thing. Okay, performer question. What is your most embarrassing moment on in live performance playing an instrument? Oh, uh, put them on the spot. Definitely some of those very young talent shows when I was in middle school. Um, I'm sure there's something that I'm like blanking from blacking out from my memory. <laughs> A repressed memory. From yeah, high school. The There's got to be something. Um, embarrassing stuff to happen on stage. I I would the the one that comes to mind is when I was probably about twelve. We did a talent show, a community talent show. It wasn't a school talent show, and we brought our amps and our drum set and we played kryptonite by three doors down and i sang it and you know i don't know about the quality of the performance but at 12 ish years old we were the oldest people performing at that talent show and we did not win. <laughs> some oh, oh, some like seven-year-old who was, sang like, "Star Spangled Banner" or something like that. Won. That's just patriotism. <laughs> wins out in the end, so, especially in Pennsylvania. That one definitely comes to mind. Yeah, I I, I like to think that that's not uh, like a reflection on your band's performance. It's just they didn't want to give it to the oldest people there because then you know they didn't want the kids to feel bad. How much so, older than the next oldest competitors were you? Everyone I don't, I like don't remember that much, but it was, <laughs> we were we were there at you know eleven and twelve years old between the three of us, and we were like, why are we so much? Why are we so much older than everybody else at this thing? <laughs> <laughs> it's way more embarrassing at that age as well. I mean, now I just go, oh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> uh. Performing is stressful, man. <sighs> I've had some bad ones. Yeah, tell us about. Tell us. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. I'll give you. I'll give you an acting one. Yeah, come on. Uh, so when I was playing Oberon in the end of my first year of drama school, first performance. Oh no! <laughs> uh, the costume. So this is Midsummer Night's Dream, Shakespeare. Very, oh, you know, or oh, serious oh. editing. Oh. Uh, um, everyone. Well, not everyone, what I'm saying. Um, the costume I was wearing, because we've gone for some interesting concepts, because we were doing basically a mishmash of different Shakespeare scenes. To give you an idea of how weird it was, my wife Titania was played by my friend James, who was in a corset and a dress and things like that. But I was in skin-tight leather trousers, a harness and a choker, because um, we were playing up the sexual elements of the Oberon character. Oberon, king of the fairies. <laughs> yeah, Oberon, king of the fairies and sex pests, apparently. Um, so as Titania goes to exit, the zip on these skin-tight leather trousers gets caught on her corset. Neither of us noticed this. James spins to exit, leaves, taking the zip of my trousers with him. <laughs> um, 
and because they're skin tight, they don't come down straight away. And I'm sort of like, yeah, I can, I can pull this off. They'll stay up. It'll be fine. <laughs> I feel them starting to slide. <laughs> I've been talking to Puck. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I have to dismiss Puck and then get rid of the trousers. So I get rid of the trousers in, in the next bit and I throw them into the audience on the line. Um, and Apollo loosed his love shaft swiftly from his bow. Oh. I, threw, I threw them into the audience. Um, and did the, and this was the last big scene. And then, because I'd already done my last exit before that. So I was on stage like that for the rest of the show. No. Oh, <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah, so that's my worst. Um, by far. By far. <laughs> um, yeah, I've never had my pants literally fall down on stage. And you have to stand there for the rest of the show. You gotta rock it. You gotta rock it. If you, if you, yeah. Oh, that's some good improv, though. My my director said it's the best he'd ever seen me do the scene. <laughs> he just went. He just went. Wow. He was like, your focus went from its normal level to there. It shot up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that sort of happens when you feel you're in danger. <laughs> you're just going, oh no, okay. <laughs> That's going to be the new acting uh, direction. Instead of picturing the audience in their underwear, picture yeah. yourself. Imagine yourself. your pants have just fallen off. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, it works. You should be able to do this scene naked, confidently. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Oh, it, it was just for what, what it was for me was a moment of decision where I just went, I can't stop the scene, and Oberon wouldn't be embarrassed. Um, uh, <laughs> right, okay. Uh, so you say you play bass and guitar. Do you play both on the recordings? Uh, I think I actually do play bass on Sail Away. Mm -hmm. uh, I love just Sail because. Away. Uh, thanks. Uh, like we just, uh, I don't know why we were just recording the guitar parts and Dan wasn't there that day. And it's not a crazy in-depth part. It just kind of follows the chords. And so I just laid it down. But when you're performing live, you, you play the guitar. Right. When we started, it was just me and Dan. So we just only had guitar and bass. We did that for probably a year before Joe joined and we would sometimes switch off for certain songs. I would play bass and he'd play guitar. Sometimes, yeah, he definitely got a lot better at it over the years, but some stuff is easier to sing with the guitar strum pattern versus the bass line, stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've recently picked up the bass. That's what I find as well. Uh, you beat me to it so but yeah it's i mean they're both string instruments right but then it sort of like kind of ends there like the tuning is like cool I, I, I can pick up the space and i can make some sounds but it's like the the way you play and the, how you make music is pretty different bass so play, is cool no, man bass is cool the bass is the cool <laughs> thanks davy 504 sure. slept like now but you play electric, right? Um, so I had, I got an electric guitar first, one of those little cheap ones. 
and I had that for a while, and then I upgraded a little bit to an Epiphone, and then in high school, I wanted to join the jazz band. We actually had two jazz bands, kind of an A tier and B tier, and my first year, I played guitar in the second tier one, and I wanted to join the upper level one, uh, but the guitar player, who was also a good friend of mine, who I, which was one of the reasons I wanted to join this band, was really, really good. So he basically just said, play the bass. There is nobody trying out on bass. So I was basically <laughs> so guaranteed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I borrowed my friend's bass, which was this bright red electric bass. I think it was an Epiphone also. And... I learned it. I learned the audition piece, and they just let me in. <laughs> and that was really, really fun. And the rest fun. is history. And then I learned Upright the next year, after oh, I had wow. a little more experience. I played Upright in the jazz band, which was really, really fun. And I bought my own electric bass. And What, yeah. what bass you got? I have a uh, Fender jazz bass. A three-color sunburst, and maybe it's a tobacco burst. I didn't realize they yeah. nice, made nice. jazz bass. Dark. Yeah, sticking to the jazz bass. Dark wood uh, fretboard. Right. So it sounds like you've you've played a lot of different instruments and like a lot of different genres. What what is your what's your favorite instrument and genre to to, to play? Well. That has definitely changed over the course of the years as well. I really. Uh, admire jazz musicians and I really w want to uh, improve my thought process while I'm playing to to have expand it into those types of uh, just broader ideas so right now that's what I've really been focusing on and I think it while when I play with friends, most most people are interested in like rock and just jamming and stuff like that. So I'd like to be able to incorporate some of those ideas in there. Do you find you're mainly going after like improvisation and basically learning the music theory to an extent where it's just second nature and yeah. you're no longer thinking about what you're th still thinking about what notes sound good, but it's like transcending that level. It's you're not thinking about what you're playing you're thinking about what you want to show i would very much like to be in that place i feel like i am actually kind of in a transitionary phase right now for one thing it's really hard to play music with other people right now so i feel like my improvisation has kind of taken a step back in the last six months really? compared okay. to when i was doing it almost every day for the you know nine months prior to that but I feel like I'm kind of at a stage right now where I'm trying to break down some of the ideas that I had previously so that I can rebuild in a more freeform, more expansive mindset. A lot of people get boxed into the same ideas for a long time, and it's really, really hard to break out of that. So mm -hmm. that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, and starting over is really important, like being able to start from scratch again. What's everyone's sort of favorite genre of music to listen to during this unprecedented times? Because <laughs> it always changed. Sam, you you Ooh, going with jazz? That's hard. Oh, if you have to pick, like you know, one, which is unfair, I know, 
It's a bad question. I think you could. I think I might what's, what's jump up, over into the funk campground. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to give one. I've been listening to, to, to a lot of country and bluegrass recently. I'm not sure why. It just keeps popping up and it's just nice and fun, you know? Nice. Yeah, you linked me the Oh Hellos that did an NPR mm. Tiny Desk concert. That was really cool. Well, I like listening to musicians that play the right notes, and that's why I listen to <laughs> classical music. Uh, <laughs> As Victor Wooten says, though, it's about the notes, uh, you know, that are wrong. It's about the notes oh, you right. don't play. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's about the notes don't you play. don't play. <laughs> yeah. Wow, John Cage must be the god of musicians yep. then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um... four, 433 <laughs> is my favorite piece of music. <laughs> Why? Why can't they just play the right notes? <laughs> well, to be fair, there used to be a rich improvisational uh, tradition in classical music as well. It's just sort of died out as that's transitioned into jazz, really. I learned um, about that pretty recently, how a lot of the uh, really early classical solo piano pieces were it's all but improvised as exercises for the students and then i don't know enough to talk very much about it but i have to do that recently yeah. and then someone's like yeah. this sounds good and then wrote yeah. it down yeah. Yeah. N- nice cadenza yeah it's part yeah. of the reason Beautiful that cadenza, written music yeah. even exists apparently i love seeing variations on classical music there's actually a lot of classical influence on our on our album our, EP, really? really? Oh, uh, not a lot, but <laughs> <laughs> what's, the, what's the EP called? Uh, SJW. Oh, what's that? What what's that, that, that for? This case? Yes. Social Justice Warrior. <laughs> oh, it's actually a skeleton jazz wizard. I'm glad that somebody else is using SJW in the same way as me. Uh, <laughs> the the introduction to that song is actually based on the dance macabre, the uh, oh. Camille. Same sense. The introduction Jeez. to SJW. Yeah, the um, the violin solo. You know, loosely, loosely. Oh, that's why I was like, because I'm like, yeah. why does it sound like vaguely familiar? It's like this haunting. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Now, now that you say it, it's really like it really. Oh wow. I'm gonna be honest. My favorite song is still "Buyer's Remorse." Buyer's Remorse. Because I've been listening to that for over a year. Brilliant name. Quite apart from anything else, but yeah. Also, like whoever came up with those lyrics, genius. Yeah, that's but he kept the receipt. (laughs) (laughs) A great example of our songwriting process because that one and "Sail Away" very much. uh, Dan kind of came to me with a concept that. uh, and that song, he's like, hey, I just came up with this line, uh, like, you sold your soul to Jesus, but you kept your receipt. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, that has to be in a song. <laughs> that sounds like how Bella Fleck writes songs, like Bella Fleck and Abigail Washburn. Jumping on your bluegrass train, Jack. Uh, but, yeah, because it's like, oh, I came up with this line, and, and then... 
Abigail Walsh movie, like, nah, I don't like it, and, like, you just keep pressing it, and three months later they'll make a song based on that line. Because <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, actually, it's a good line. And I, I, he, I honestly, I may be misremembering it, but I think I was just messing around with that riff in the intro, and then he, we were actually also roommates at the time, just knocks on my door, he's like, yeah, you wanna jam? I just came up with this. I was like, okay, well, let's, make, well, let's just put these two ideas together. Nice. And, That's cool. Yeah. I really love that riff uh, in Bio's Remorse. Uh, well, like all of them, but yeah, this, oh, that's a good song. You're gonna have to teach me how to play all the bass parts. I'm swapping over. I don't even know. Even though I, I mainly know. <laughs> what? I don't know how to, I mean, in uh, I don't know how to play any of those bass parts. He, he improvises everything he plays. <laughs> You're going, what are you playing today? Uh, I don't know. Seriously, I, they, <laughs> like, um, What's the first one called? Uh, on My Own? Yes. Yeah, On My Own. That song has never sounded the same twice. Because as amazing. you you know, uh, the, the, the bass, the, the lowest note in the in the harmony decides what, what the harmony is, decides kind of what chord it is. So when he is improvising the root notes <laughs> underneath everything I'm playing, uh, it can get pretty weird. So are you and just going, oh, okay, that's an interesting uh, tonic. Uh, what the fuck is my dominant? <laughs> like, like, that has happened. That has <laughs> like, happened. He's playing more of a running bass line. Especially in those, <laughs> those weirder chords in the chorus. You gotta be a little bit, a little bit discerning. <laughs> what you well, on, my own, on my own, I think, was the most, like, jazzy of all of them yeah. for me. But also, it's... Well, now that I hear I, I it's like made the, up each performance, it's truly jazzy. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, again, I wouldn't have guessed that, uh, that you know, it sounds different each time, but it does, now that you mention it, sound like the kind of song that never sounds the same twice. I'm sure that it was structured for the recording, I think, but there's also um, some live recordings out there. We performed on the, on the uh, university radio station, so... Yeah. Guarantee it's not the same baseline between those two. That's kind of cool though. I, I like I like that that happens. But has that ever put you in situations where you end up clashing, having unintentional sort of dissonance? Yeah, every once in a while it does. But it's not. He's not doing it randomly. Like he knows what he's doing. It's just. It's like he's a good. He's, yeah, but yeah. you don't know what to expect. <laughs> so sometimes yeah. you are going, oh, okay, right. <laughs> Uh, I'd love to tell some of our, uh, some of our shenaniganery of the band. Oh, totally. Uh, cause we have a storied, you know, concert record. Um, most recently, this is actually interesting. So that song SJW, as you may be able to imagine, is performed very loud. <laughs> and, um, We've only had, I would say, a handful of live performances, probably around 10. And that song, until very recently, had a 50-50 split of times we've played it and times the police have come. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first time we played that song was probably around midnight. And we were jamming in my living room. In, this is in Pittsburgh. And we finish it, playing the next song, 
And then there's a recording of this, which is one of my favorite recordings of our band ever, where we're playing, and then everybody stops randomly, and you can hear someone say, I think the cops are outside. <laughs> <laughs> and we look at the living room window, and there's somebody <laughs> knocking on the window. He's like, Shut come up. to the door. Uh. <laughs> so that was the first time we ever played that song. And, uh, was it a noise complaint? Or? Yeah, that was a noise complaint. Um, we also did it at an open mic night at a bar, and the cops showed up to the bar. <laughs> to the bar? <laughs> oh, no. They didn't, they didn't come inside. They were just like, I, I don't really know exactly what happened, but they were they pulled up to the bar while right after we played. Um, we did an outdoor concert hosted in our own backyard. You guessed it. Mm-hmm. 100% <laughs> legal. <laughs> and we, we, at that point, we would have... Uh, probably continued anyway but one of our roommates who answered the door unfortunately uh they were they were like we're gonna we're gonna take your license if uh and if if you uh, get another noise complaint that we really have you on record or something like that so he was like you have to stop uh we did one performance at another bar with no police presence. So it was 50-50. I think it was three and three or four and four. And then this past weekend, we the three of us went camping. This was kind of a reunion. We hadn't seen each other in quite a while. We hadn't been, the three of us, in the same place in uh, quite a while. And so around 9.30 or so at night, we're playing our music around the campfire. We played this song, you know, acoustic oh, version. No, oh, no. <laughs> and who should walk up but the park ranger? <laughs> no way. <laughs> and honestly, I think she would have walked right by us, but I strummed something. I just played like one chord, and she's like, hey, uh, you have to stop. <laughs> it's quiet <laughs> hours at the campground. <laughs> and that tips the skills in my mind. I'm counting that as the cops coming you guys are official rebels to break the tie if you guys want to support indie that, musicians that song has a higher punk. than 50 percent probability of <laughs> if you want to go if you want to if you want an exciting night go and watch them play yep. basically what else so we once were uh at a at a party um as as guests this was a friend of a friend uh who my friend is a keyboard player who is actually not featured on this album but he has performed with us and he loves doing kind of pop-up performances so this is probably after 1 a.m and he gets the word from the host of this party as that we can bring our stuff in and play (laughs) in this kitchen packed with people jesus so joe the drummer lived i don't know half a block away we called him he was like fuck yes (laughs) (laughs) i brings his drum kit over dan was asleep at home and we all we called him we're like get ready right now we're coming i don't think he even answered the phone we showed up to his room he was pissed we were like we need you to get up and come play a show right now. <laughs> it's the literal middle of the night. <laughs> and he's going, 
what? He, what yeah. do you mean? He was, <laughs> he was mad, mad, and he did not want to do it. I don't even remember how we convinced him to go, <laughs> uh, but we somehow did, and that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that was no rehearsal, nothing. We just we just jammed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just he laughing was, at the fact that you know he didn't answer his phone, but he just went, "Ah, we'll be able to get him." <laughs> he was he was asleep until the moment we opened the door to his room. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's up? Uh, he was, ah, be kidnapped. It's like a proper blues brothers plotline. Yeah, it actually yeah. is. Uh, oh, we've man, been chased by the Illinois so Nazis. I once saw a flyer for a concert at, it was at Carnegie Mellon. I believe his name was Eric Ross. I might be misremembering that. Thurman Master. And I I had to go. I was like, this is, this is going to be crazy. So I read a little description of this guy and it was described as avant, uh, avant-garde experimental music the band was performing music from the future was the name of the show. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is going to be some super cacophonous, esoteric uh, BS. And I read a little bit more and it was like, he has uh, inspirations from like Miles Davis, electric and uh, fusion era. And there's um uh, the drummer and saxophone player in the band, I was like, oh, wait, maybe this is going to be really cool uh, yeah, fusion, like, like experimental jazz. And I went and, no, it was the first thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a good company of, of noises. Uh, uh, it was unreal. It was so insane. It just was sounds like a cyber parrot. Somewhat enjoyable in some ways, but this, it was a... I'm sure you could classify it as music, I guess, but it was by far the most experimental <laughs> in, in a very loose thing. sense. Uh, There's <laughs> a drummer, a saxophone player, maybe a trumpet, a dedicated theremin player, I believe, who is not <laughs> the main guy. What? 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 And then so? the title musician of the band played piano, electric guitar, and theremin. But he did not no, play you know, any of those instruments in the traditional sense okay <laughs> he would like rake the strings with a violin bow and just make ridiculous sounds um he would play i'm sure he played at one point the theremin using the head of the guitar <laughs> like <laughs> it was why why accompanied why? by a because you can psychedelic ba- uh visual display of did, like, did he have like exposed a... and over contrasted images and various colored did he filters. did he hand out free psychedelic drugs before the performance or something <laughs> i don't know we got there a few minutes late it's possible they did oh <laughs> uh, oh if you want to if you want to hear some music that truly shouldn't exist um <laughs> listen to the ethel merman disco album so ethel merman was a uh a Broadway singer in like the 50s and 60s and maybe even into the 70s and 80s, I think, actually. And maybe earlier than that as well, actually. But, you know, she was a Broadway singer for a long time. But in the 70s, she sort of caught wind of the uh, 
the disco craze just as it was dying out and did a disco <laughs> album of songs and it no, is it is a thing of beauty because you know she's doing her thing well the disco people are doing their thing well but they've made no effort to meet <laughs> in the middle it, it's it's one of those i i love pieces of art like that not because they're good but because they happened because they exist somebody poured their heart into that you you try and look at life in a positive lens like you try and look at each situation positively but some things they're just teachers you know some things are just learning experiences like we're glad they happened failure the greatest teacher is as yoda said in the last (laughs) jedi the best star wars film indeed well, he he was he was he was referring to um, Ryan Johnson's uh, directing career. Because um, <laughs> after that, he made Knives Out, and what an excellent film! Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think he was referring to the sequel. Um, yeah, that's true. Trilogy in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Star. I don't know. I don't think Star Wars would fit the theremin. No, definitely not. No. Different, it's too different type of well it's a it's not a it's a it's a space opera really uh it, it would work in like the weird alien in universe music and like the cantina and stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's true but it wouldn't work in the cantina theme well you but, know but like a different alien bar it's very atmospheric it definitely isn't the cantina <laughs> isn't that, yeah isn't that a genre of music jizz yes jizz. it is literally called jizz yeah is that a wow. is that canon Probably not yeah. anymore. Oh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> come on! You can't uncanon things, Disney. Disney. It'll, it'll always, we'll always have jizz in our hearts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> what? What a ridiculous statement! Please no. We'll always have jizz in our hearts. Uh, I think my patient is very ill. He has jizz in his heart. <laughs> Sam, when's the when's the next EP? Um. From our band, I have no clue. <laughs> no, from any band. <laughs> yeah, from, from the next in general, uh, probably. Well, I've been working on some solo stuff recently. Um, nice. Cool. I don't know. I don't have any time frame attached to it. I'm just kind of doing it for fun. But I do plan to make it free and readily available at some point. Well. We'll, we'll keep an eye Good on news. That. Jizz is still officially canon. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Praise be. To our Disney um, overlords, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, thanks very much for coming on this week. It's a real blast. Do you want to plug your social media? Like, where can people find you? Um, I have an Instagram uh, that is at Sam Sato. Uh, and in the bio of that, you can find the link to our album. Mm. Yeah, we'll oh, yeah. link well, the album. We can the link the album in the description. Yeah, great. Editor Daniel here. Just wanted to let you know that you can also find Wild Love on Instagram at Wild Love Music. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on this week. Us, great. Uh, this is good. Thanks everyone for listening. You can find us speaking from ignorance on Twitter. Handle is at from ignorance on our website sfignorance.github.io. Anchor FM audio versions, Anchor FM and Spotify, um, as well as other uh, podcasting services apart from iTunes. And cue skeleton jazz music. Yeah, yeah, we'll 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 
I'll play, play us out, out. with uh, <laughs> some of your music. See you next week. Over to you, Sam.
Thank you.